0: the passage for this morning, and we'll just go from there. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thanks for Jesus, and thank you for your grace to us and to me through him. Um, Father, it's uh, your love and your kindness we don't deserve. To be part of of your kingdom um, is a great honor and a great privilege that you bestowed on us. Um, Father, I pray this morning that as uh, we look at your word, as we look at, at some of the parables Jesus told about Um, your kingdom and and your people, uh, that you challenge us to live like your people and uh, to be more and more like Jesus in everything we do and uh, to seek it with our whole heart. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Um, I thank you. You forgive me. Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Um, He loves, as we've seen in previous parables, to come and rob from your kingdom and uh, to steal and uh, to hinder it. But we know that in the end, your kingdom will prevail. And so we we love you for that, and we trust you with that, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week we wrap up kind of a short section of Jesus' parables. We've been in Matthew chapter 12 and 13, and primarily 13, and we've been looking at some of the parables that Jesus told to a group of people, to a crowd from a boat out on the Sea of Galilee. And we today we're actually going to look at five short parables. We've looked at a couple. The first week we started with one. Last week was two. This week we're jumping to five altogether this morning. So it should be good. Um, but if you remember, the first week we looked at the parable of the four soils. And I challenged you, are, are, what type of soil are you? Are you the soil that's fertile, where God's word takes root and grows deep? And are you willing to, to dig out the rocks and to pull the weeds so that God's word would bear fruit in your life? And last week we saw the fact that Jesus uh, draws two very distinct categories of people. He puts everybody into one of two categories. You're either like the wheat and you bear, uh, bear good fruit and you're part of his kingdom, or you're not. And you're a weed and you're a tare and you bear poisonous fruit. And uh, your, your eternity is to face judgment forever in hell unless you would trust Jesus Christ. Well, he's teaching ultimately about his kingdom, and those first couple weeks were about how to enter his kingdom and the difference between people in his kingdom and people who are not. And this morning, we're going to see more about his kingdom, but specifically, we're going to see maybe the the how his kingdom grows and the why of why you should pursue it. But before we talk about the how and the why, I thought, hey, maybe we ought to talk about the what. What is God's kingdom? Because there's some... Um, mistaken ideas, I believe, about what Jesus' kingdom really is. Well, ultimately, when you talk about God's kingdom, it's, it's anywhere, uh, just in a nutshell, very broadly, it's anywhere that, that God rules and reigns, where Jesus rules and reigns uh, over his people, that's his kingdom. But really, to understand it, I think maybe a helpful thing would be to understand kingdoms in general, because I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't have a king, We haven't for a long time. And in the West, there's really no parallel anymore to a kingdom and what a kingdom was like in Jesus' day and when this was written. So first, let's just talk about what a kingdom is. Well, a kingdom is a governing impact of a king's will over a territory or a people. It's where you have a king who's in charge of everything. And every kingdom has to have a king, but it's also true that every king is automatically A Lord. Every king is automatically a lord. And by a lord, here's what I mean is the the closest thing we have in a parallel in our in our world today would be a landlord. Somebody who owns the property and is in charge of it. Well, a king, by definition, being a king, is sovereign, and he's a lord over everything in his kingdom. He owns all of it. (laughs) The king is the owner of everything in his kingdom. So a king's sovereignty is absolute. He's not voted in or out of office. He, he, we don't, they don't have elections for kings. It's just something by birthright, you're king. By right of birth, you become king. And there's no other way in. There's no other way in other than, than by birth. And, and his authority, his power is ultimate within his kingdom. Um, And so what I want to do is just talk a little bit about what makes up a kingdom. Because every kingdom has a handful of things. And there's probably more we could say, but I just kind of broke it into four categories. And we could probably uh, break it into even more. But first off, every kingdom, number one, has a king or a sovereign. And I just talked about that a little bit to where the king is the sovereign lord over everything in his kingdom. He owns it all. He's in charge of it all. It all belongs to him. The second thing that every kingdom has is a territory or a domain. If you're going to have a kingdom, if we set up King Randy, Randy's going to have a kingdom, and it's going to have a territory or a domain to Randy's kingdom, right? And, and every, territory, every, every kingdom has a territory. This is It's resources and people. They're all personal property of the king. The king, by right, owns all of it, and therefore he's considered lord of all. In his kingdom. Keep in mind the word Lord by ownership, as I already said, it's ownership by right. He owns it all by right. He's the only rightful owner of all of it. And Lord is only given to one who is in sovereign power, that title. This is why scripture declares in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein. For he's founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Well, the third thing that every kingdom has, it's got a king, it's got a territory, it also has a citizenry. It has a people or subjects that are part of the kingdom. Every kingdom has it. And the the citizenry is the people that live under the rule of the king. Citizenship isn't a right, it's a privilege. And when when you're granted citizenship in a king's kingdom, you, you get all the privileges and benefits of living in that kingdom. You, you get to be part of what's called a commonwealth, where there's commonwealth that's shared of the king's with you. It's not your wealth, it's the king's wealth, but he graciously shares it with you. And the well-being of his people reflects the glory and the, the majesty and the nature of the king. So if you have a good king, the commonwealth of the kingdom is what? Very good. If you have an evil king, the commonwealth in the kingdom is everybody's in poverty but the king. And, and that's how a kingdom works. It has, has a citizenry, a people. And the king is obligated, he should be, to care for and protect all of his citizens. That's why Jesus said the priority of all men is to seek his kingdom. See, because the number one goal of a citizen in the kingdom is to stay in right standing with the king. Because if you cross the king, guess what? <laughs> um, you're going to face the wrath of the king because it's his kingdom. And so that staying right with the king, that's referred to as righteousness. And that's, again, why I just said why Jesus says we ought to seek the kingdom first and make that a priority. Well, number four, the fourth thing that every kingdom has is a constitution or a royal covenant. Every kingdom has this. And and basically what this is is it's a covenant between a king and his citizens and his people. And it expresses the mind and the will of the king. In a nutshell, it's the word of the king. The Constitution, the Royal Covenant, it's its what the king says, and what the king says goes. It's the highest authority in the land because it's the actual words and, and mind of the king. Now let's back up and compare this to when Jesus talks about his kingdom. Well, first, who would be the king in Jesus' kingdom? Easy Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? If you don't know in Sunday school, you just say Jesus, and nine times out of ten, you're right. that That's the right answer for this one. Jesus is the king of his kingdom. The second thing that, that, that his kingdom has is a territory or a domain. And there's two ways to think of this. Because broadly speaking, we read from Psalm 24 that uh, all the earth is the Lord's and everything within it. So really, broadly, the universe is part of his kingdom. That's, a, that's the domain of his kingdom. He rules and reigns over all of creation. It's all rightly his. He's the Lord of all. But but narrowly speaking, when we're talking about his people, it's his rule and reign over the hearts and lives of his people, the people who submit to the king. So there's a broad sense of the kingdom where it affects everything, and there's a narrow sense in terms of his people, where he rules and reigns over the hearts and minds of his people. Well, the third thing every kingdom has is a citizenry, a community of subjects. Now, who would you suppose this would be? Clearly, it's God's people. It's anyone who's following Jesus, who's submitted to Jesus, who's repented of their sin and turned to the king. And you're adopted in, you're grafted into his kingdom by his grace, by his good graces. And then he protects you and cares for you and gives you all the benefits of being part of his kingdom. You get a brand new identity, Ephesians tells us, as you're a child of God now, not a child of wrath. You're a child of the king. Isn't that great news? And that's what his kingdom is about. It's about you becoming part of his kingdom, being a subject to Jesus. And the fourth thing every kingdom has, a royal covenant, well, in this case, it's it's the mind and will of the king, so it's God's word. And it includes so many different things. It includes the law of the land. It includes uh, social ethics of how you ought to live. It includes the list of all your rights as a citizen of his kingdom. Now, Jesus' kingdom parallels earthly kingdoms. God put the idea of a kingdom into the heart and mind of people because he himself rules as a king. But the difference between every earthly kingdom and and Jesus' heavenly kingdom is every earthly king that rules and reigns sovereignly over his kingdom um, does so with a sinful heart. And so even the best of kings have their faults. And when you think about it, the only way a kingdom really works well and, and really is a good thing for the people who are part of it is if the king is a benevolent king, right? If the king is just a mean dictator who just rules and reigns with an iron fist and it's my way or the highway and, and he, just, he, he just lords it over his people, that's going to be a miserable kingdom to live in. But if you have a king who's really good and who's really benevolent and really loves and cares for his people, Man, there is no better place to live than in that type of kingdom. Forget democracy. Forget anything that we've known in America being blessed. A kingdom under a benevolent king is one million gazillion, figure it out, times better than that. Because you have a king who's in charge of it all and cares for it all and is unchanging and is good and blesses his people. And Jesus says that's what he's establishing. He's come to establish his kingdom. The king is here. Now what's unique about Jesus' kingdom is when he first comes, when he first comes to the earth 2,000 years ago, puts on flesh, becomes a man, that's what we would call the inauguration of his kingdom. But what's going to happen is he, he, he gives a distance in between where his kingdom slowly grows and then he's going to come back and he's going to um, consummate his kingdom and put everything in full force. And he's truly really going to bless all of the people who are part of his kingdom. And he's going to weed out and get rid of the weeds that are part of his kingdom so that it's just his people in his kingdom. And that'll be a good day, but that's yet future. But Jesus says his kingdom is here. So anyway, with all of that in mind about a kingdom and our king and how that works, now let's look at some of Jesus' parables that describe his kingdom. Sound good? Let's look at these together. And first off, the first thing I want you to notice is this, that that Jesus' kingdom starts small, but it grows to bless everyone. It starts very small. In fact, it starts with one man, Jesus Christ, and it starts with with his followers. And over time, that kingdom grows and grows, and, and it even blesses those. He's even good to those who are living who aren't part of his kingdom until the day when he consummates it fully. And it grows to bless everyone, ultimately, his kingdom does. Well, no one parable can completely describe God's kingdom, so Jesus gives us a handful here. First off, he tells us the parable of the mustard seed. Here's what he says. He put another parable before him, Matthew writes, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it's grown, it's larger than all of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. A grain of a mustard of a mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? It's like here, I'm holding one. You can see it. No, I'm really not. But that's about how big it is. It's just tiny. Now, now some criticize this because Jesus goes on and he says it's the smallest of all seeds and. You know, they they get really nerdy and, it's not the smallest seed. The Bible's inaccurate. Well, I know it's not. Jesus isn't trying to make a scientific statement, right? He's not not talking about gardening. He's just talking about the fact that it's a small seed, small thing. That's all he's saying. His point isn't that it's the smallest of all seeds. His point is that it starts small. He uses the exact same metaphor talking about uh, the disciples' faith when he says, if you just had faith like a mustard seed, just a little bit of faith. You could tell this mountain to move from here to there, and it'd move, right? He's, he's just saying it's small. And, and he's saying his kingdom starts very small, and it slowly grows over time. See, if you would plant a mustard seed, what it would do is it, was, it, it would grow, and it would actually grow into a, a, a big bush, and sometimes it would grow to 10, 12, 15 feet tall. Now, Jesus here says tree, because, again, he's comparing small to big, Right? And it grows in, he says, it's the largest of the garden plants. And it's this tree where, where birds find nests in its branches. And again, he's just saying it's small to big. But, but this tiny little seed grows into this huge plant. And it gives benefit to the birds of the air who come and eat of its seed and eat of its fruit. And it gives benefit to everyone who would plant it. It starts very small. And then it grows over time to become very, very large. Jesus is saying, that's the nature of my kingdom. See, it starts small. It's starting here. I'm inaugurating it. But I'm telling you, by the time it's consummated, there's going to be so many people who are part of my kingdom. Not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And now you look at it today when it started. There were you know, a handful and then you get to Pentecost and maybe a few thousand followers of Jesus. Now you're talking, um, Now maybe not everybody here is a follower of Jesus. But you look at all the people who worship Jesus or, or claim to on a Sunday morning, day in, day out. And you're talking well over a billion people just on the earth today. That's incredible. His kingdom is growing, right? And one day he's going to come back and consummate it and it will fill The earth, his rule and reign, and it'll be a good day. But maybe you might consider, what are some small things that you might do that might help grow and build his kingdom? Have you ever noticed that sometimes the smallest acts of kindness show God's goodness, show the goodness of the king to people in a way that that you would never guess impacts them? It always amazes me that some of the smallest things I do is tend to stick with people, and I hear about it weeks, months, years later. And I remember when you did that thing, I'm like, I don't. Cool. <laughs> and and it's, it's, it's just these small things that grow. It's the nature of his kingdom, and it's the nature of his gospel. That it starts small, but, but the Holy Spirit empowers that to grow. What are some small things maybe you could do to spread the kingdom? Maybe it's just in terms of spreading the gospel, it's just making a small comment about the gospel in everyday conversation. That when you go present the gospel to somebody, you don't have to come with your Bible and go, all right, we're going to have a big talk and just start beating them with the Bible. Maybe it's just one little comment here, and maybe a couple weeks later, one little comment here. And over time, the Holy Spirit would use that seed, that small little mustard seed to grow into a rich and mature faith. You never know. What God might do. That's the nature of his kingdom. Small beginning, great ending. And that's the parable of the mustard seed. It starts small and will grow to produce many who believe. But he tells another parable. The parable of the leavened loaf. Parable of the leavened loaf. maybe Maybe your Bible has a little title and it says parable of the yeast. But he told them another parable. Verse 33. He said, the kingdom of heaven, so here's the king talking about his kingdom, is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. All right, now we turn to Food Network, and Jesus is giving some cooking lessons. Right? It's, it's the it's this woman, and she takes some yeast, and she puts it in three measures of flour. Now, for you, three measures of flour, you're thinking maybe you uh, three cups of flour, but it's a whole lot more than that. Three measures of flour would have made um, about 110 pounds of bread. So he's talking big amount of flour. And he takes a, she takes a small amount of yeast and, and puts it in the flour, hides it in the flour, and when she bakes it, all kinds of bread, and the whole loaf rises. A lot of bread, right? A lot of bread. So what's he trying to teach us about his kingdom here? He compares it to leaven stuck inside of bread. Well, what does the leaven do? What if you cooked that bread with no leaven in it? You'd end up with matzah, right? You'd have like this crispy cracker. But with the leaven, the entire loaf is transformed. The leaven it impregnates every part of the flour and it grows and it rises to where the whole loaf is good. And that's what Jesus says is about the kingdom. It's like, it's like this small thing that's hidden and you don't even see it sometimes. But but over time, as it grows, ultimately, every place it touches, it transforms it. Now, think about this in two ways. The kingdom, as you become a follower of Jesus and, and the seed of the kingdom, the leaven of the kingdom is planted in your heart, Jesus totally transforms you, right? He makes you totally new. And over time, it affects every area of your life as you continue to grow. And think also, though, in a practical sense of how his kingdom affects our community, and our world. When, the, when, the, when his kingdom people are out serving in the community and loving your city and loving your town and loving the people at the place you work, that also continues to grow and affect people. And, and I'm telling you that j- just through your witness, just through you living like Jesus has called you to live, it can have a transformative effect on everything around you. Maybe you're like, you don't know my workplace. It's brutal, Josh. Yeah, you don't know, though. Jesus' kingdom starts small and then it grows into something incredible. Maybe he would use you, like the yeast in the bread, just to grow and slowly transform that place. To soften people's hearts to where they'd be receptive to the gospel and they'd be changed. That's how his kingdom works. These aren't my words, these are Jesus, right? That's what he says. He says it's like like yeast in the bread until all of it was leavened. It'll transform people. It'll transform all that it touches, his kingdom will. And that's the parable of the leavened bread. Well, Jesus inserts a small comment here in verse 34. He says, all of these things, Matthew said, Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Isaiah wrote this, I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Parables were an essential part of Jesus' ministry because basically what he's doing is he's, he's making known what has always been there, but now he's clarifying it. it, it God's kingdom, that was his plan from the beginning. But, but some of the prophets, even as they wrote about the future and prophesied about Jesus and about his kingdom, they didn't understand completely what they were even writing about. But they were anxious to see how God fulfilled this. And Jesus is saying, I'm making clear what was always hidden in ages past. And he, he's doing it through Parables. And I told you that I think last week or the week before. Part of the reason he tells parables is because he had so many enemies who were always trying to trap him, who were always coming after him. And they, they just wanted to find a way to get rid of this guy who's turning their world upside down. And by teaching in parables, he could teach those who really wanted to hear and really wanted to learn because they would lean in and they would get it. But those who were trying to trap him would just go, he's telling stories. This, he's just telling stories. This is strange. But those who really wanted to understand, Jesus would reveal those things to him. His spirit would. And that's my question for you. Are you you leaning in? Are you listening in such a way that God's spirit would teach you and change you? Are you letting the yeast of who Jesus is come in and transform every area of your life? Not just the, oh, yeah, I believe it, so I'm not going to hell. But how about your attitude towards people? Has he transformed that? Or uh, how about um, your giving? Has he transformed that? How about even just uh, your countenance before people? Has he transformed that? I always laugh. Like sometimes people who've trusted Jesus, you just want to say, somebody needs to let your face know you're following Jesus. And that's a good thing. And love people and care for him. And let, let him transform all of who you are. But he teaches these things in parables to us so that we wouldn't just hear a good story, but it would be relatable and we would understand more about it. Well, after he talks about that, the how of the kingdom, how it grows and how it starts small and grows to bless everyone, then he comes back with a couple more parables where he talks about the nature and the value of the kingdom. And ultimately what you need to see in these next two parables is that nothing is more valuable than Jesus' kingdom. Nothing is. Think about it. If you if you were if I had you make a list right now, and I'd say write down everything that's of, of greatest worth to you. Maybe you'd write uh, my family, my children, my job, uh, my security. What is it that's most valuable to you? My reputation. What what is it? What would you write down? I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus says that He and His kingdom is worth far more than that, far more than that. And are you willing to seek it and pursue it with all your heart? I mean. How many of you, if you would write your your kids or maybe one of your highest values in your life, you'd do anything to bless and to care for and to rescue your kids if they're in trouble. And what we're going to see is a couple parables where Jesus talks about people who would do anything to gain his kingdom and to be part of his kingdom. Where remember, he's a good king who loves his people and who cares for them. There's no greater privilege than being part of a kingdom where you have a good benevolent king, especially like Jesus so let 's let 's pay attention and lean in first, he tells this parable verse forty four the parable of hidden treasure. He says, "The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field so you got the picture there 's a guy, and really probably the idea here is there 's a man. Uh, working for someone, and he's working out in this guy's field. He's a servant of his master, of his landlord, and he's serving, and he's working in the field, and he's going along, digging, plowing the earth, whatever he's doing, and think, 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 his shovel hits something. And he kind of digs it up, and it's like, oh, that's a huge treasure. Fantastic. So he covers it back up, and then he goes, and he sells everything that he has to get that treasure. Now, some people, they hear that, and they go, well, that's a dishonest Man. Well, again, what's Jesus really trying to teach us here? He's not trying to teach us a morality lesson about this guy. He's trying to teach us about the value of treasure, right? See, the way that would have worked, if he would have dug it up and pulled it up, that treasure would have belonged to who? The owner of the land, right? Because all that was in the land is rightfully his. So for this treasure to rightfully be this guy's, he's got to own the whole land. So he covers it back up, and he runs, and he sells everything that he has. We don't know how much he had. Did he have a lot? Did he have a little? It, it didn't matter to him. He joy. And did you notice that? He joyfully sold everything to get that treasure. I, I don't know what he had. Maybe, maybe he had incredible wealth. But clearly this treasure was worth more. And he comes back to the owner of the land and he buys all of his land, buys the field so that the treasure would be his. It was worth everything he owned to get that treasure. Now, what's curious is this man is a guy who, he's just working, he's just going about life, and he stumbles upon this treasure, doesn't he? How many of you, I wonder, where you were were going about life, and uh, there was was really nothing pressing going on, but but oftentimes, sometimes people just stumble upon who Jesus is. And it's just like, all of a sudden, plink, (laughs) I got it. And they stumble upon this treasure of who he is. And they realize, yeah, that's the truth. They weren't really searching for it. They just happened to find it. And and in in reality, Jesus found them. Is that you? Maybe that's you even today. And and you're going along and you're going, yeah, you know what? I I do. I believe that that's true. I don't know if I've ever put my faith in him before, but I really believe that's true. And, And just by God's grace, you happen to stumble upon it. That's his grace and his goodness to you. Well, then maybe in your joy, you would be like Jesus and be willing to to give some things up to receive that. See, when you discover who Jesus is and his love for and his grace towards you, you know what it yields? It yields deep joy. It really does. It yields deep and abiding joy. It, It always... It perplexes me sometimes how people can, can claim to follow Jesus and yet be some of the most joyless people you'd ever meet. and there's always something wrong, and nothing's ever good enough, and, and maybe uh, maybe this is you, and you would need to repent and discover the joy of who Jesus is. Do you find yourself always bitter, always down? Never really grasping the full joy of who Jesus is. Think about it. If you've trusted him, you you live under a benevolent king who's given you his kingdom. (laughs) He gives you the keys to the kingdom, he says later. It's all yours. Have fun. Because I love you. If you find yourself bitter, examine your heart. Why are you bitter? Maybe somebody failed you in some way probably did and it's probably horrible and i'm sorry maybe it was me and if it was i'm sorry but holding on to that bitterness sometimes we think if we hold on to bitterness and we refuse the joy jesus offers that somehow by holding on to that bitterness i'm really i'm hurting that person who hurt me I'm, hurt. I'm going to get back at them. I'm just going to be bitter towards them. I'm never going to smile at them again. I'm never going to talk to them again. I'm just, oh, I'm just so angry, so bitter. I'm just holding on to this. You know who that hurts? Yourself. It hurts you. They probably don't even know you're bitter. They might not, they, they don't care anymore, more likely than not. If you're holding on to bitterness and resentment, I'd encourage you, by God's grace, and I know it's so easy to say and it's so hard to do. I know that. But slowly as you can, release it. And instead, grasp hold of Jesus and his joy. Turn your eyes upon him and his kingdom. He is more valuable than than whatever it is you're holding on to. See, this guy, he sells everything. In his joy, he went and sold it all. Get your eyes off, off yourself and on to Jesus. And, and we could talk more about bitterness here, but my point is simply this, that when you really find who Jesus is, when you find that treasure, it yields joy in your life. And people around you start to notice, There's oh, they got some joy. There's something different about them. Seek Jesus and receive his joy. Let go of some of those things you've been holding tightly to. Sell it all so that you can go buy the field and dig up the treasure. And the way Jesus says it is this. He says, um, well, first, in, earlier before he says this, he says, um, you know, don't, don't worry about what you're going to put on and what you're going to wear tomorrow and all the cares of everything. For tomorrow has enough worry for itself. This is the king speaking to you in his kingdom. He says, instead, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Why can he say that? Because he's the king and he owns it all and he loves to give these things to the people of his kingdom. Now, this isn't a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. This is just reality that Jesus gives joy to his people. Seek first his kingdom and then all these things will be added to you. Let go of some of those other things. There's the parable of hidden treasure. Now, there's also, he tells a a parallel parable the parable of the valuable pearl, or you might say the pearl of great price. Look at verse forty-five. Again, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So imagine a jeweler, a merchant, and uh, he's he's looking around for fine pearls. He, he's he's going from uh, trade show to trade show to, to a property to he's, he's trying to find fine pearls so that he can sell them and make a profit. Who, verse 46, on finding one pearl of great value, just one, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. See, when you find something that's really a, a, of great value, you have no problem paying a big price for it, do you? It's like you get what you pay for. And and, and this, this valuable pearl is worth so much, I'm willing to just sell everything and buy it. Now here's the difference. This, remember the first guy, he's just working along, shoveling, and think he hits the treasure with a shovel. He just stumbles upon it. This guy was searching. He's searching diligently, Jesus says. He's trying to find pearls. He's a merchant searching for pearls, and then he finally finds this one of great value and great worth, and when he does, he sells everything and goes after it. Some of you, that's your story. Either you are searching right now, and I'm telling you, the pearl you're searching for is Jesus. It is. The hole in your heart, the things that you're longing for, all of that that you wish you had, all of the joy that you hear about but isn't yours, I'm telling you, it's in Jesus Christ. Your search is over if you'd simply trust him. And some of you, though, that's your story of how you found Jesus. You spent maybe years of your life searching and searching and trying to find something that would fulfill and then finally, you found it, and it's like, there it is. And it's worth more than anything else, Jesus says. This pearl would set up this merchant for life. And when he found it, he was like, I'm selling it all, baby. This is it. This is it. This is mine. Well, Jesus closes with one fifth parable. This whole section on the parables, he closes with what else? A parable. He asks his disciples, he says, and this is the parable of the house owner. Verse 51, he says, have you understood all of these things? And they said to him, yes, yeah, we get it. Remember earlier they were asking because they didn't get it. And he explained some things to them. And now they're saying, yes, we get it. Verse 52, and he said to them, therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Really what he's saying here is, do you get it yet? Do you get it? Do you get it? And what he's saying is like every good scribe in his kingdom is like an owner of a house who, who brings out of his basement old treasure and new treasure. And he's like, here, this is all treasure. And it's a reference to the fact that everything that was written of old about the Messiah is of great value. And you can pull treasure, uh, for us just maybe to apply it, you can pull treasure out of the Old Testament because all of it points to Jesus. And you pull treasure out of what's new and what's been revealed in his parables because all of it ultimately points to Jesus and his kingdom. And basically what he's saying is, do you get it? It's all about me. It's all about Jesus. All of it points to Jesus. Do you get it yet? I'm telling you, your life, the reason you're here, the reason you're breathing, the answer is Jesus. The reason you have good things that have happened to you over time, the answer is Jesus and his common grace to you. The reason if you've repented of your sin and trusted him that you're now called a child of the king is because of Jesus. He's adopted you in and he's graciously let you be part of his kingdom and given you all the privileges of a citizen of his kingdom. Do you get it? Because when you get it, you joyfully go and you say, that's all I care about. That's all I care about. And it might start small in your heart, but over time it grows to something big like the mustard seed. And and, and it it infects your life and it transforms all of you. And you're willing just to give up everything with joy to pursue Jesus. Do you get it yet? It's all about Jesus. Jesus. Listen, this morning, if you've never trusted him, if you've never repented of your sin, let me just commend to you, Jesus. Seek him with your whole heart. Turn to him in faith. Repent of your sin. It just means to turn to him. It makes you new. It makes you part of his kingdom, and he is a good king. Sometimes we think of his word and his 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 Bible as just a rule book, and I don't need all those rules. But it's really not; it's a roadmap for how you can live your life in the best possible way you could ever live it. Why? Because he loves you. He's a good king. And if you you have repented and you've trusted him, live in light of your citizenship in his kingdom. You're a child of the King. Quit seeking after all these things to try to fill your heart that are never going to fill them. When Jesus has given you everything you need, and he promises one day, this life may be hard, but one day when he comes back, oh, man, it's going to be sweet. I'm telling you, it will. And when we get that day, if it's not sweet, then you can correct me. But I'm telling you, I'm going to look at you and be like, I told you. I told you so. It was worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, and uh, thank you for his grace To me and and to all of us. Lord, we don't deserve it. Uh, We don't deserve your goodness to us in any way. Uh, In fact, we deserve nothing but your wrath. Um, Jesus thinks that you're a good king, that you're a faithful king, as we saw earlier, and that uh, you love us and you care for us as a good king. Father, I pray for those of us this morning who maybe never trusted you, who've never become a part of your kingdom. I pray today might be the day that they would. Today might be the day they'd uh, turn from, from their way of living and um, repent of their sin, turn to you in faith, and that you'd graciously receive them into your kingdom. And I pray for each of us who already have. Let us live lives that are worthy of your kingdom, to seek your kingdom first, Not worry about the cares of this life, but to worry about honoring our king. I pray that it might uh, spread from our church to impact our entire community. That uh, our community would look at our church, even those who don't know you, Jesus, and would say, uh, what a great place. And what a great way that they've blessed us. And Jesus, that's a reflection upon you. Father, we love you. And uh, we thank you for Jesus. We pray all of this through him. Amen.